and uh, we're looking at Philippians chapter 3 and we're going to be unpacking some some verses in chapter 3 to 4. So Paul says in verse 17 of chapter 3, join in following my example. And so what we're going to be looking at is almost Paul's biography of what Christ has done and the difference that Jesus Christ has made in his life and how the worth of Jesus surpasses everything he's ever had. I don't know about you, I, I love biographies. I, I enjoy reading biographies. I, I love reading about Steve Jobs from Apple or George Lucas who made Star Wars. I, I love reading Jonathan Edwards, the great uh, Christian leader from the 18th century. I find biographies incredibly inspirational. It's great to look at what drives somebody and what captivates them. It inspires, it motivates, it gives you ideas for how to live. Um, your life too, something to emulate and learn from. And in these verses that we're going to look at, Paul gives a kind of mini biography of himself. As you know, Paul was a man who originally was called Saul, and he really believed that it was God's will to persecute Christians and destroy the church. That was what Paul really believed was a, a godly thing to do. And if you remember, he was on his way to Damascus. He had letters from the Pharisees to throw Christians into prison. And Jesus meets him on the road to, 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 to Damascus. And uh, Paul says that his encounter with Jesus was so incredibly powerful that it changed absolutely everything in his life that his experience of Jesus was so wonderful that he, ex that he said that everything that went before he counted as loss. So I'm going to read you some verses from chapter 3 and we'll unpack them. He says in verse 2 of chapter 3, look out for the dogs. And uh, we love our dog, but dogs get a really bad press in the Bible. They're kind of the lowest of the low dogs. They're scavengers and they're not particularly... Uh, don't get good press. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the, fret, the flesh. In other words, what he's saying here is there were men who were teaching that in order to be right with God, in order to have a relationship with God, you needed to do something on top of the fact that Jesus had died for your sins, that you needed to um, be circumcised. You needed to do something uh, physical that showed that you belong to God. And Paul says that's a mutilation of the flesh. He says, we are the circumcision. In other words, something's gone on in our heart. We're, we're right with God through a heart thing who worship in spirit, in the spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. So Paul is saying there, look, we don't trust anything that doesn't depend upon the Holy Spirit and the finished work of Jesus. And then he tells his biography. He says this, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh or confidence in my achievements. And he says a number of things in these verses. He says he was born into the right family, that Paul had this amazing family heritage. He says, I have no confidence in the flesh. I, have, I was circumcised on the eighth day. In other words, he had a family who kept the law, the legal requirements to follow God. They kept it perfectly right on time. He says he was of the people of Israel and 
He says he was of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor as of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. For whatever I, for whatever gain I had, I count as loss for the sake of Christ. So Paul is saying, look, I was born into the right family. I had an elite family heritage. He he says. In terms of keeping the law, he was absolutely perfect in all of his external behavior and conduct. He did nothing wrong. So on every single part of the way he would have prayed and kept the, 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 kept the original laws that were given to Moses, all the highest possible standards, Paul said, I kept them all absolutely perfectly. I, I achieved them all. Like Paul's behavior was absolutely excellent, perfect outward conduct. And then he says, I was really passionate for God, really zealous for God. So zealous, I went around killing Christians and throwing them into prison. He was passionate. He was confident in his zeal for God. And then he says, I met Jesus or Jesus met me. Jesus interrupted my life. Jesus invited me into his life. And he's really saying in these verses, my previous identity, everything that I thought was a real gain, I, my shiny trophies of my behavior and my passion and my heritage and my family, whatever advantages I had, like he says in Galatians 1.14, I was... Um, ahead of my contemporaries in my following of Judaism. He was competitive, competitive. He was full of comparison. He was full of performance. And he says, you know what? I was doing brilliant in all of it. He says, but now I've met Jesus, that past status, that past privilege, those past opportunities, that past respect, that past power, that being right on the top of the hierarchy and all the applause that went with it, all the glory, the praise and the honour. He says, it, I count it all as loss in comparison to Jesus. It will be like today saying, somebody saying, I did my PhD at Oxford University and I was on the best educational programme. I was teaching... Uh, uh, people in an academic institution of great power. And this was my family heritage. We were almost royal in our, in our heritage and uh, we, we had great standards. And, and, and actually I was cleverer than anybody else in my generation. Paul says that's the kind of man he was. He had status, power, education, influence. He was a mover. He was a shaker. He was at the top of the tree. And then he says, you know what? Anything I had before I count as a loss compared to Jesus. And so that's in, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. And then he says in verse eight of chapter three, indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of Jesus Christ, my Lord. So it's not just that this is a conversion experience. It's not that Paul is just saying everything in my past I count as loss compared to Jesus. He is saying that I go on every day counting everything as a loss in comparison 
to knowing Jesus. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. He says, not just on Damascus Road, not just in that moment, but every day. So Paul would live his life like this. If anything came his way that would demote Jesus Christ to second place in his affections, in his desires, in his ambitions, in his longings, he would reject it. I count all things as loss in comparison to Jesus. If anything became his confidence before God, apart from the work of the Holy Spirit and the finished work of Christ, he would reject it. So in other words, Paul has no confidence in his own performance. Uh, I don't know about you. Have you ever felt that when you're performing well, according to whatever standard you say is good performance? So for a Christian, it might be I've avoided uh, sin or I've read my Bible every day or I've prayed more often or maybe I have fasted more often. Do you then have more confidence in your relationship with God. Paul would say, I put no confidence in any activity that I can do. Now, all those activities are beautiful and wonderful and amazing to, 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 to worship and to pray and to meditate on scripture. But none of them, Paul would say, puts, uh, makes you more confident before God. So Paul would say, I only am interested in the work of Holy Spirit and what Jesus can provide. If Paul had to choose between an amazing opportunity and choose Christ or anything in the world, he says it's settled. I always choose Jesus. So this is normal Christianity. So Paul is saying there is a experience of Christ that is so incredibly wonderful, joyful, that it makes everything else pale in comparison. And then he says this, but whatever gain I had, I count as loss for the sake of Christ. And then he says in verse eight, as we've just said, indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes uh, uh, through faith in Christ Jesus. So what is he saying? He's saying this. I was born into an elite family. I had status. I had power. I had influence. I had trophies and applause. I was a mover and I was a shaker. I was ahead of everybody else in my generation. I was somebody and I've suffered the loss of all these things. If you go back to that story of the Oxford PhD student who is at the higher echelons or the higher uh, hierarchy of education, teaching great students with status and influence. Imagine that same person then turns around and says, I will choose to follow Christ and be a missionary and leaves Oxford and goes to Germany where maybe they don't have great 
German language and they find themselves in Germany where they can't really fully um, speak and they certainly can't find themselves in the higher echelons of German education and so they take a job that's much lower than their educational ability. That person, if that were Paul would say, uh, I suffer the loss of all things for the sake of Christ. And um, that would be a, 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 an example of, of say modern. So I've suffered the loss of all things. There's something I had that I don't have anymore. Yeah, that, that Oxford University student learner now has lost status. There's something I've lost. Um, I've lost something. And then he might consider and says, when he consider what Christ has replaced in his life, he might say, you know what? I was moving to Damascus. I was throwing people into prison. I had power and influence and status. Now I'm in prison myself. Now I'm in chains for the gospel. Now, instead of being applauded as, as a great man within Judaism, I'm a prisoner. I'm mocked and laughed at and despised because I believe in the resurrection of the dead. I believe in Jesus Christ. And when he says, it cost me something to follow Jesus. And then he says in verse seven, but whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted loss for the sake of Christ. Or he says, I count them as rubbish. For the sake, I, for his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in comparison to Jesus. I've suffered loss, but when I compare what I've lost, I consider what I've lost as rubbish when I compare it to Jesus. He's saying that's normal Christianity, that Jesus Christ is so wonderfully captivating and the experience of the Holy Spirit so deeply real and experienced that anything compared to Christ is counted as rubbish. So if I have to lose status or opportunity or power or influence or applause or position or finance or freedom or status, all that, Paul says, is considered to be rubbish. Although some people might might know that that word rubbish can be translated as uh, as poo or there's other translations that you can find in there, more modern translations. He says it's compared to Christ, it's rubbish. Have you ever been to central London on a hot summer's day when it's like 30 odd degrees and the rubbish is in the streets and it smells? Have you ever smelt that awful smell of hot rubbish in the streets? And um, Paul is saying, in comparison, everything I've lost in following Jesus is, is, is like that rubbish. It has no real appeal to me, though I truly have lost it and I truly have suffered the loss of it. He says later on in the, in the chapter, I forget what was behind and I press on in Christ to what's ahead. That this thing of he doesn't look back with regret of missed opportunities or shame or longing, but he presses on because Christ is that prize. He desires and wants Jesus more than anything else. Christ for Paul in this biographical chapter is better than everything in the world. 
and everything that the world could give Paul. Paul in other parts of the Bible says, God gives us all things to enjoy, but don't become a slave to anything. And that's how Paul lived his life. It's Christ. I want Christ. I want to know more of Christ. I want to know the power of his resurrection. I want to press on. I want to forget about the past. There's a day coming. For Paul, it meant that even in following Christ, if he missed opportunities or status, he had dreams. He had dreams of, of, of planting churches in Spain that he didn't realise. He was imprisoned instead of free to bring the gospel where he wanted to bring it. There were opportunities that he lost, and yet nothing could ultimately touch his joy, his treasure in life, because Christ is all. I don't know about you, but that's freedom, isn't it? Imagine being someone who, who the chief joy, the chief joy of your life couldn't, couldn't be taken or snatched by anybody. Imagine being so wonderfully free that economic upturns and changes in, 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 in things wouldn't remove your joy because you've got a security that transcends it. Imagine living a life where you're no longer hungry for the approval of other people, but you know the approval of Christ. Imagine having a joy that can't be touched by any feedback from any human being because you have a security that transcends it all. Paul is saying that's normal Christianity, that it is possible for a person to be so intoxicated and in love with Jesus that Jesus Christ transcends all other treasures and prizes, so that even the best of life in comparison to Christ, though it's good, can be compared to rubbish on a hot day. This, this is the great reversal. This is so revolutionary. This is so countercultural in a world where we're always wanting more. And we were talking about this even this morning with Facebook presents one another with uh, the highlights of another person's life. And we think, yes, I would be happy if that were me, if that were my circumstance, if that were my situation. And Paul says, I've got this treasure that surpasses all other treasures. Every day I enjoy the treasure of Christ. Jesus said there's a treasure in a field that the man sold everything he had to become the owner of that treasure. That Christ is a treasure chest of joy. That Christ is a treasure chest of satisfaction and pleasure. That to be a Christian is to discover the all-surpassing satisfaction of the Lord Jesus Christ and to live in communion and union with him in enjoyment and pleasure of God. It's not that we don't need one another. We've talked about that many, many times. We lovingly serve one another. We love God and love others. But our deepest prize is Christ himself. Now, there's a danger in a biographical preach, because what we can go away thinking is this. I've got to become like Paul, and I've stoically got to grip my teeth so that I have no other desire than Christ Jesus, and that somehow God is displeased with me if I have any other pleasure other than Christ. Or we might feel that I couldn't be like Paul and say, I, I count all things as lost compared to Jesus Christ. And we can then feel condemned and guilty and striving to try and improve. That's not the gospel. The gospel is this. We come to Jesus just as we are. We come to Jesus with that mixture of 
I want other things, Jesus. I want you. Sometimes I honestly become devastated when I don't achieve the status or the applause I want. I sometimes think, Jesus, I'd be happy if it was you plus X, Y or Z. We come to Jesus just as we are and we open ourselves up to Jesus. We say, I've heard from the scriptures that you are all satisfying and that you can quench my thirst. I've heard that you are the bread of life. I've heard that there's a freedom in you that surpasses any other freedom. I've come to you to learn from you. I've come to you, Holy Spirit, as my leader, my guide, my teacher. Disciple me, apprentice me, train me in the way of Jesus. Help me where I hold on to things. Help me where my death grip is on something, on an outcome. Help me. We don't try and make ourselves right for God and then come to God. That's to have confidence in the flesh. And Paul says, I have no confidence in the flesh. I have no confidence in my performance or my zeal. My only confidence is in Holy Spirit and the finished work of Jesus. And to finally just land it. And he says in verse nine, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ Jesus, the righteousness that depends on faith. In other words, this. Jesus Christ does not require or you to or demand that you become zealous for him in order to please him. Jesus Christ is one who provides you with everything that you need, including the status of righteousness. There's a righteousness that doesn't depend on your passion, on your performance, on your heritage, on your history, on your education, on where you come from, on what you've achieved, on what you promise to achieve, or how zealous you are or passionate you are for God. God does not measure your life by anything about the flesh. There's a righteousness that comes merely through faith in the finished work of Jesus, that we come weak and broken to one who gives us a righteousness, who elevates us to the status of becoming children, not by our own works, but by his generosity.